Well, it's great to see all of you this morning as we gather together to worship in the name of Jesus Christ. Our text today comes from the book of 1 Corinthians, and we'll be reading today verses 10 through 18 through the sermon. So have your your Bible ready, and then we'll point you to the passages as we walk through today's message. O Lord, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. And the people said, Amen. Perhaps there's no better time than now for the church to be the church, the church of Jesus Christ. As I said in a message last fall, an overwhelming number of people in our day and time are not claiming any religious affiliation at all. Our culture, as you remember in the message, calls them the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, people who don't have any affiliation or allegiance to the divine. Many of them are skeptical. Some are just turned off by organized religion. Others were raised in the church, but somehow got away from the church. Some just don't have any belief system at all. In a world that is growing more diverse, more skeptical, and more me-centered, as Dr. Ron Crawford from Baptist Seminary said last Wednesday in our Bible study, people long to be known. I believe with all my heart and soul that the church has the opportunity to shine brightly in these days with political, economic, racial, and social division tearing at the fabric of our communities and our nation. Perhaps we, the church, have given, been given a wake-up call to be Christ in a very fragmented world. A fragmented church I believe, and you know this too, will be ineffective in its mission to be a visible presence of Christ in this world. The good news is that our church, the church, has a history, and we can look back to God's Word to see how Paul, for instance, dealt with some of this to help the church to be one unified body of Christ to make a difference in the world. The letter of 1 Corinthians was written to a very fragmented first century church as a reminder of the basis of Christian unity. One commenter states that Christian unity rests on our shared story, that we share the ritual expression of baptism, inclusion into Christ, reception of the Holy Spirit, and welcome into God's family. This we can say we have in common. Jesus said a whole lot about unity. If you remember his prayer in John 17 that uh, records what he said to his disciples the night before he went to the cross. Speaks of indwelling with the Father. The Father and Jesus were one. And he desired that the disciples and baptized believers from that point on would be one as he and the Father were one. As you recall from last Sunday's message in the first part of 1 Corinthians, Paul started the church there and had a successful year and a half with the people there. And then he moved to Ephesus to do church planting and to continue making disciples. And it was there that he received word that the church in Corinth was filled with factions and division. So he wrote the church this letter to help them to have some words of encouragement and words of correction that they could be one body. Paul had a way with people, though. He didn't just write them a rebuke. You know, often, I don't know about you, but as a dad, sometimes I get fussy before I get encouraging. And I want to learn, and I believe that 
Paul, the way that Paul sets up his letter is a reminder to me that maybe I can be more encouraging if I say a few positive things first and then bring up those areas where we need some improvement. Paul chose a better way. Let me refresh you with verses 4 through 7. I always thank God for you because of His grace given you in Christ Jesus, Paul writes. For in Him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And if you count up the words that Paul wrote that were encouraging there, or phrases, there are five or six of them. He thanked God for them. He expressed that they had God's grace on them. He affirmed that God had provided, that God had spiritually enriched them. He affirmed their wisdom and knowledge from God, and he praised and acknowledged their testimony that had been so effective. So he said a lot of good things to them. Five or six encouraging things, and then the next part of the chapter comes. Words of encouragement, some correction. I believe that we can learn a lot from Paul's leadership and Paul's understanding of human behavior here. I did some research and learned in a number of areas across the spectrum, whether it's psychology, business, coaching, education, child development, that it is most effective when someone starts off with five or six positive things to say before introducing something that is negative. Because I don't know about you, but the negative is what sticks more. When I hear somebody complain or say something negative, well, I seem to dwell on that more than I dwell on all the positive things. Anybody else? You'd raise your hand. Are you like me? Yeah, right? So I think Paul has some good lessons for us. Phil Jackson, the coach of the Lakers and the Bulls, says that I would tell players five things they were doing right for every negative or critical piece of feedback that I gave them. And then there was a study from the University of Michigan School of Business, and they said that the worst-performing teams used three negative comments for every positive one. And they also reaffirmed this five or six positive for every one negative. So if you're a parent or an educator or if you're in the workplace or whatever, HR, human resources, maybe we can learn from the way that Paul encouraged the church. I asked our own Amanda Lott, our associate pastor for children here, the same thing. And she says, quote, If you want little people to hear your instructive comments, their ears and, our, and hearts first need to be full of your love for them. If they trust through experience that every action starts with and comes from, I love you, their hearts and ears are ready to receive direction from that place. I love you doesn't mean do whatever you want, she says. I love you means I care enough to give you boundaries. And Amanda said that she practices this in her own, not own teaching, not only teaching, but in her family as well. So after hearing some positive words of encouragement from Paul, perhaps the people were better able to hear where they needed to make some corrections. He didn't waste any time. He was very specific and honest. Verses 10 through 12. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. My brothers and sisters, 
Some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul, or I am of Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Another, still another, I follow Christ. He got very specific. He wanted them to agree with one another. Literally, that means to be of one voice. Let your voice be the same church, he says. In Paul's logic, the church should not be divided. And he uses the Greek word translated, uh, the Greek word schisma translated here for divisions. This is where we get the word schism. The word picture for that in the old, uh, in the Greek ancient language, is something that is fractured or splintered. And it can mean uh, when someone split wood, for example, you can have that picture. Or it it meant uh, a, a broken bone. Or it also meant when one dug into the ground to plow it up to prepare it for crops. Paul's saying, I do not want you all to be splintered or broken apart. The same word we find used where the Gospels speak of the tearing of the curtain at the Jerusalem temple when Jesus died. Something that is torn. That same picture. And he called these factions out. Some, he says, some of you follow Paul. Paul was the founder of the church. So you can imagine some are very loyal to him as the founder. Some followed Apollos. You remember Apollos was one who came from Ephesus, having been discipled by Priscilla and Aquila. And he went back to Corinth to continue the church planting work and the pastoring there that Paul had started. And he was a very eloquent preacher, Apollos was. And some just loved everything he said. His words were smooth as ice cream on glass, as my seminary professor used to say about some preachers. Paul would write later that his words were not so eloquent. And people thought he was kind of bland and boring, actually. And then some said, I follow Cephas. Maybe they were the Orthodox Christians from more Jewish background. They were going back to the original apostles. Peter, they were loyal to his teachings. Some, and I believe this is the greatest indictment here, uh, said, I follow Christ. And he is actually speaking about people who have embraced a spiritual superiority who think everybody else is spiritually inferior. These are sort of like the Pharisees that Jesus preached against when he spoke about people standing on the street corner, uh, preaching out loud and praying out loud so everybody hears what they say, or people who made their face look so sad when they were fasting so people could see what they were doing, kind of hypocritical people. I believe that if the NFL existed back then, they would throw a taunting flag at these people because you're not supposed to taunt others in your spirituality. There is not room for spiritual superiority. And Paul addresses all of these factions, and he says you need to be a one mind and thought, people. One mind and thought. And he borrows a great word from the, um, the Greek called katartizo, and it means to mend together as the uh, disciples were mending their nets when Jesus saw them. Or as a broken bone is mended together. You are to be of one mind and thought, he says. He wanted nothing more than the church to be united, healthy, and whole. And that's what we want for our church, and that's what we want for our churches as we exist in a very tumultuous time, not only in our country, but in our world. 
people are hungry to hear good news. And we have it to present. Paul also asked challenging questions. As we see in the next part of the, of the chapter, verse 13. He says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? So he had them. He said some words of encouragement. Then he addressed their factions. And then he had their attention. Then he says, is Christ divided? No. Was Paul crucified for you? And they knew the answer to that. No. Were you baptized into the name of Paul? No. And he made his point. And then he pointed to their purpose. Verses 14 through 18. Paul writes, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one could say that you were baptized in my name. He's dealing right away with those who were very loyal to him. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas, but beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anybody else. Again, humility and defining himself related to his purpose because he says, Christ did not send me to baptize. He allowed the other leaders in the church to do that when somebody was converted into the faith. He says his call was his, God did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And then verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul acknowledged his power, and he acknowledged his own unique purpose, that he was sent to preach the gospel, and that people should not be loyal to him, but they should be loyal to Jesus Christ, because it was Christ crucified that enabled them to do what they were doing. He preached Christ and Christ crucified. Paul reminds them of his purpose. He reminds them that their wisdom is not their own, that the cross is our power, and that we all have a greater purpose. And that helps us as a church today. One scholar writes, New Testament churches are to be unified in purpose, thought, love, projecting their togetherness to an already fractionalized world. Divided churches are their own worst enemies, he writes. How many yet-to-be-reached people actually want to add to the chaos of their lives by linking with a fractured church? Sometimes you have been in a church and perhaps it's been conflicted and you left and you found another place that was healthy. That's what we want to be. We want to be a healthy, strong, united church that people can see the light of Christ in and through us as we go out into the world. I remember the story of Esther. Esther lived in the, during the time of the Persian rule, and she was Jewish but yet was made queen of Persia. And there was a time where the king had allowed... He was manipulated to allow a decision to be made for all of the Jewish people to be eliminated. All of Esther's people to be eliminated. And she had a decision to make whether she would remain silent about it and be safe or take a risk, perhaps risk her life to say something to the king 
to protect her people. And her uncle Mordecai, who had adopted her, said these words. He said, if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And I believe you and I as the church have come to this place and this time for such a time as this, to be the church. I believe the church is the hope of the world. At HRBC, we have a vision to be a collaborative church, working together, co-laboring for Christ with and among ourselves, with our community, with schools, with nonprofits and other agencies to do work for the common good, that we collaborate together to make a difference in this world so that people would have better lives. All the while, never forgetting the mandate that we have to preach in one voice Christ and Christ crucified when the opportunity arises. I believe that the church in America today must come together through the basic tenets of our faith to eliminate poverty, to end hunger, to ensure equal opportunity, to end racism, to clothe the naked, to transform the imprisoned, to seek affordable housing for people, to advocate for reliable and accessible transportation for our region, to ensure the health and welfare of all people, to seek the good for this generation and the generations to come, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in word indeed to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I believe that the test of Christian unity is the ability to disagree about some things and yet agree on the main thing that we might never compromise our ultimate loyalty to Christ and each other. Our community needs the church. Our region needs the church. Our commonwealth needs the church. Our nation needs the church. Our world needs to the church. May our fellowship here at HRBC be an authentic expression of the family of God as we seek to fulfill the call and purpose that God has given us at this time and at this place. Yet who knows whether you and I have come to represent the kingdom of God for such a time as this. Almighty God, thank you for calling us to be part of the global movement through the local church to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Father God, during this time of invitation, I, I ask that you would help each of us consider what part we play in that. Some of us may not have yet made a decision to become that part of the whole and God, that you would help them to take that step of faith, to admit that we are all sinners, to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, to believe everything that the Scripture says about Jesus is, is authentic and true, and to demonstrate that through baptism. God, you would lead them. And maybe others who are yet not yet part of this fellowship, God, that you would lead them to Take that step of faith to be united with HRBC and the greater family of God because you have called us for such a time as this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our song is Jesus Messiah.